Thank you for listening to this recording of Family Bible Church's Sunday morning message. We pray that God will use this word to bless and encourage you. Well, good morning, officially. This is kind of fun having Caleb lead, and um, that takes a lot of pressure off. I always say when, when I'm leading singing, so like with a new song and I would have blown that, I would have been nervous. And it would have, it would have come right into the message, and I would have already been in my shell and, and, and worried. So anyways, so I feel pretty good I'm not in my shell necessarily. Yeah, uh oh, yeah. Anyways, so yeah, so I'm excited. Anyways, um, the book of Matthew. Um, I mentioned um, in Sunday school, kind of going all the way back, just because I don't have it on the sermon note sheets anymore, kind of got rid of a lot of the, 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 the forerunner stuff, but that we are toward the tail end of a seven year study, if you would, of going through the whole counsel of God, going through the entire Bible. And so we have been, over the past seven years, um, doing a verse by verse through the entire um, Word of God, and so in Sunday school we're um, doing Jeremiah, Ezekiel. We've done Zephaniah and Haggai as a part of it. So I encourage you to come and be a part of this. Kind of a lot of fun stuff as we go through uh, fun stuff. Anyways, we talk about the judgment and and the, and the wrath of God upon uh, on Israel. But anyways, but His mercy and His grace continually calling out to them to repent. But we've been going through now the Book of Matthew for the past couple months. And as we've gone through it, we've, we've talked about the fact that it is a Jewish man who's writing about a Jewish Messiah to the Jewish people. And it's important for us, again, to remember all that as we look at these passages and understand the context, the milieu in which they were written. As we've gone through the book of Matthew so far, we have seen that, again, in the beginning of it, how much was placed there by Matthew regarding the lineage of Jesus and who Jesus was because it was very important from the Jewish perspective. Jesus then went off in the, in the teaching um, with the, the Sermon on the Mount, and then he displayed his authority um, to all the people of who he was. But then we're in this, this large section of the book, really dealing with not just the overview teaching of Jesus, but now him teaching in a lot of practical ap- uh, situations. And so over the last couple of weeks, we had um, considered Jesus' teaching regarding offending other people. And we saw um, a couple weeks ago, David um, taught on this portion about not offending the children and the importance that children had in the place of God's teaching, of the truth of God's teaching. Okay? And so, again, as a reminder, and I mentioned this last week, as we were going into last week's portion as well, that in the Jewish mindset, in the Jewish mindset children were at the bottom rung. Now, I mean, you could say the foreigners were because they were, they were nothing. They were not even a people. But within the Jewish realm, you had the man, you had woman who were chattel, and then you had children who were not really people. They, they, just, they were just a low, very lower um, class. And so when they, that's why bar mitzvah and bar mitzvah is, is important because at that point, then they become... Somebody. Does it make sense? Okay. Uh, it was a coming of your own, coming into your personhood. And so, so Jesus is teaching here from a couple of weeks ago, and then specifically today, is, is a tr- it was a tremendous statement that he was making to those that are around him. And I don't want you to miss what's going to happen, um, because we're going to have this, this I, I think Matthew does this purposefully, this juxtaposition of Jesus' encounter with children, and then his encounter with an adult. Okay. And there's going to be this theme about entering the kingdom that we're going to talk about, which is extremely important. First of all, we have this encounter with the children, okay? And so, note the context what's going to happen, okay? It's Gabrielle and Hunter, they're, they're, bringing, they're bringing Glenn up to me, okay? And I'm, I'm Jesus, and I'm teaching, okay? And some of you are my disciples, and, and they just want to bring their, their snotty-nosed kid. The, the, oh... I can be Jesus today. Anyways, and so that this snotty-nosed kid can, can sit on his lap. I mean, this is a politi- political moment, right? Every politician knows what? You take the kid, you, you kiss him on the forehead, you know? I mean, this is a, 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 no, 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 not in that day. You don't worry about it back in that day. Back in that day, he is a distraction. He is a distraction, isn't he? <laughs> This is good. I can say anything I want. You're not going to pay attention. You go, oh, Glenn's so cute. Okay. You want to go back with Mama? Or are you going to be with me? Going to lead with me? He's a future song leader. I don't know if you saw him leading the singing up here when we were doing this kind of fun. You ready to go back? 
said, man, I got the center of attention here. <laughs> Thank you, buddy. And um, so, but back in the day, he's a distraction. Kids are a distraction. Jesus has more important things to do. I mean, why would you bring your kid to Jesus? Do you want to understand who he is? He's the future what? King. That's exactly right. I mean, we got the king here. And you're, and you're bringing your puppy. Yeah, I mean, that's, I mean, you got, I mean, Donald Trump's here and you want to put your snot or no kid on. I mean, you know, whatever. No, that's a big deal. And Jesus, what Jesus does is applicably change the way you think. Change, change the way you think. The disciples are saying, no, no, get the kids away, get the kids away, get the kids away. Jesus is like, no, stop it. Stop it. Let the children come unto me. Forbid them not. Why? For of such is the kingdom of God. Okay, so we go through this. The disciples' reaction is a consideration of your priorities. Okay, and this is just, I don't want to take a lot of time on this, but this is as I go through this and I think about it, it's a consideration of your priorities. What's the most important thing to you? I am very schedule-oriented. Yes, Donald? Absolutely. I've been wanting to go visit with Donald and Donald, Don and Donald for a long time, and it was just I just can't make it work, can't make it work. So I finally told him what? You gotta get it on my calendar, Donald. I mean, if it's on my calendar, I can do this thing. If it's not on my calendar, I'm gonna it's not gonna happen. I am so schedule driven. It's a positive because I can do a lot of things, but it's a negative because if it's not on my schedule, it probably isn't happening. Does that make sense? And so um Disciples, at this moment, are what? They're, they're, they're schedule-oriented at this moment. Yeah, I mean, this is like, we got things we're accomplishing here. There are things happening. And the priority, kids, they're not on the list. In fact, again, in the Jewish mindset, they were where? On the bottom of the list. On the bottom of the list. Jesus is taking that priorities, and he's flipping them all over the place. We've talked about that as far as the, the way people think just as a whole. So think worldly psychology, okay? worldly um, uh, oh, philosophy. What is the base need of man? What, is the, what would the world say is the base need of man? Happiness. Some say happiness. What? Food, water. You're getting closer. Survival. Survival. That's your base need. That you would survive. That's why, as Americans, we always talk about take care of who? Number one, because nobody else is going to. But in Christendom, in the mind of Christ, think about that. Where does survival fit on the list? Is it your base need? No, not at all. You sacrifice. We're called upon to do what? Offer ourselves as a living sacrifice. It's totally flipped. The, the, the needs. And so as you go up the, the need hierarchy of, in, of, of the world, others are at the end of the chain. Make sense? Whereas on God's chain, you love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. And then the second thing is what? Love your neighbor. As yourself. Because it's already assumed that what? You love yourself. <laughs> okay? And, and so, I mean, it just happens. And so the, the base need for a Christian is totally opposite of that from the world. The base need for me is to love the Lord my God with all my heart, soul, mind, and strength. That's the foundation of everything. And then built upon that is loving my neighbor as myself. Built upon that, then, is, is how do I love you, is giving the, the things I can for you. On top, the very end is going to be all about me. Think about it. If we all only care about ourselves, when push comes to shove, who's taking care of your needs? Just you. But if we all love each other more than we even love ourselves, when we each have an individual problem, how many people are there to help us out? Scores. I'd say everybody, but the reality is that that's not, that's not how it plays out. But there are numerous people who care about my needs. Okay? So priorities. This is a, a listing of priorities. And it happens to us every day. 
Okay? You're going to get a phone call, you're going to whatever, and you're going to have to try to figure out what your priorities in life is. And so you have to ask yourself, is the priority all about your schedule? Is the priority going to be the needs of other people? Secondly, it's about a consideration of prejudices. Okay? Now, it may not seem to be a big thing, but again, there was a prejudice going on here as well. Okay? And I want to use that word because it applies back over to us today. There was a prejudice that was happening. The, the adult males who were working for the future king saw what? Lesser people. Lesser people. Make sense? Kids. But they were lesser people. So they had a pre-disposal to put the kids aside, to not give them the time of day. Okay? Now, it wasn't just a matter of priorities, but it was a matter of prejudice as well. The kids don't deserve this, this, this moment. I mean, the adults could come in, but not the kids. Okay? So in a lot of church services today, there is a what? A prejudice against children. Okay? Now, okay, so they can, they can cry. They can make some noise here and there. It's okay. It's all good. Okay? But the reality is that those are few and far between where a service is really being destroyed by a child crying. But we don't want the kids there. We want to farm them out. And there's a lot of people, I mean, honestly, and I'm not, I'm not trying to be mean. I'm really not. This is just a matter of a, a thought process, a mindset, okay? It's on TV, you don't want to hear it. Yeah, and it's being recorded and whatever. And, and I, just, well, I just think that people don't want to be distracted. It's a distraction to them. Instead of working through the distractions and thinking about what's more important, then it's all about me. It's me, me, me. So get the distraction away from me, because it's all about me. And so think about it, because we're, we're going to boil it down to, when you go to a church service, of all places... When you walk in the door, is it all about you? Or did you really come thinking about others? Again, love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. Love your neighbor as yourself, right? So one and two, it's not me. You know, I always loved it. You know, they did the I am second videos. Everybody see those things? The I am second? They're wrong. Now, I like them. I like them. I'm not poo-pooing them so much, okay? But actually, they're wrong. It should be what? Say again? I'm 10th, that's good. I would say I'm third, but yes, but even 10th, I'm, I'm what I, out there, right? The, the idea is that I am last. I'm last. I'm, I'm on the bottom. You know, that sounds awful, so we don't want to do that, but I would say I am third. It's God, others, then me. Under others, you know, includes my enemies, right? I mean, enemies are my others too, so it means everybody else, right? So God, others, then me. I'm third. Could you imagine, like, hey, baby, I'm number three. I'm number three, baby. Could you, you know, seeing it on the, you know, because they always want to do this, right? You know, they, they get up, they score their touchdown or whatever, and they're, you know, someone walks up and goes, I'm number three, baby. I'm number three. And they go, oh, this guy's got a personality problem. I, seriously, I had someone, I had a chaplain years ago. I had a chaplain years ago that told me that I had a, I had a self-image um, problem. <laughs> no, I got a great self-image. I know exactly who I am. I'm a worm that's saved by grace. Apart from God, I'm nothing. Okay? God's number one. Others number two. I'm number three. Okay? So, it's a prejudice thing, though. Okay? But, if, again, coming out of my priorities, it's going to affect my prejudices. So, in our day-to-day, okay, not just kids, but, again, you know, the blue mohawk guy, the whatever, you know, what are the prejudices that you allow in that you want to see these people come into the kingdom of God. Let the people come in. Let the people. Then all of a sudden there's this other group that you say what? <coughs> Stay away. Don't bother Jesus. Jesus, you know, Jesus has got more important things to do with you than, than to mess with you. And I always think of Ray Comfort on those uh, 30 seconds that will change your life videos, okay, when he's out there witnessing the people. His, his mercy um, in talking to people is just amazing to me his love for them for people that i probably would have just walked on by and found somebody who looked looked get it looked like they were more acceptable for the kingdom of god in my pre-justices my pre-judgments my prejudices 
would then prevent me. And I become like these disciples. And so I want to challenge you in this, not just, just to dwell on it, but just to, 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 are we act, do we act like the disciples sometimes and pick and choose who we want to hear about Jesus, who we want to become in Jesus. Well, Jesus, again, then, his response to them is he says, no, I want to give the invitation to the children. Let the children come. Let, let the children come. And this should be a blessing to you who work in Good News Club or in Awana, okay? Jesus, God in the flesh, put a priority upon the children. That, I believe, is where Israel fell. This is where I believe America has fallen. It's where the church has fallen. In the book of Judges, we see the culmination coming through the book of Joshua that it takes two generations, two generations, for a nation to turn away from their God. We read in the book of Judges that as long as Joshua and the elders who lived in his days lived, they served the Lord. But then there arose a generation, can you finish it? That knew not God. Why? Why was it? Why was there a generation? Because it didn't go back to the Shema. The Shema, Jesus said the Shema was the most important passage in the entire Bible. I love asking people this question. It said, what is the most important passage in the entire Bible? And people want to tell me John 3.16. And it's not. What? What? I mean, this is anti-Baptist. You know? What do you mean, John 3.16? It's not. I have it on good authority that that's not the, 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 the greatest passage in the entire scripture. Andrew? Ah, recorder's red, Mark. So, we're good. So, I have a good authority that, that it's not the most important passage in all of, of all the scriptures. Whose authority is that? Who's? God. Well, okay, God, but the manifestation of God, that is Jesus. What did Jesus say was the most important passage in all of scripture? And where does that come from? Deuteronomy chapter 6. It's the Shema. Okay? Excuse me for one moment while we take care of these technical difficulties. Oh, too late. Okay, so, so the Shema, Deuteronomy 6, beginning from verse 4 to verse 9, says, Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. And you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul and all your strength. Does anybody know what the next verse is? No? Say again. Good. Keep going. Oh, you're cheating. <laughs> and the words which I teach you this day or command you this day shall be in your hearts. And you shall teach them diligently to your children, whether you're sitting in the house or whether you're walking in the way. And you shall bind them as a sign upon your hands and upon your foreheads and upon the doorposts of your house and upon your gates. No, I kind of paraphrase that at the end there real quick. But the point is that you're supposed to love the Lord your God based upon your faith in the one true God. You're supposed to love him with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. And if you love him with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength, then you're going to memorize his word. You're going to hide it in your hearts. And do you know who he was talking to? Grown-ups. More defined, he was talking to the men. The women were back in the tent with their kids. He was talking to the men. And he told the men that you have to have a proper faith. You have to love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. You have to hide what I'm teaching you to say in your hearts. And you then, men, have to be diligent to teach it to your Children at all places and all times. And that's exactly where the failure began. Because then they didn't teach their kids. They didn't pass it on to their kids. And there grew a generation that knew not God. And so Jesus said, don't do that. Let the kids come. I want them to know it's important. It's important to have kids in the sanctuary. It's important to have kids in the worship service. Kids grow up. You find out. You go out and do look at the Barna research. Okay? You look at a lot. Kids grow up in a lot of churches thinking they're not a part. They're not a part of it. Because they get shipped off. 
and they have their entertainment. Is it any wonder that we now have adult churches where there has to be a lot of what? Because what did you just do with the previous generation? You taught them that church had to be entertaining. It had to be fun. Amen. It should be from the Word. And so, I just want you to think about this. What we train our kids to do, they're going to pass on down. It takes two generations. So, in the United States, we, back in the 1920s, Scopes trial, I know, theoretically, the, the creationists won. They lost, right? And so, at that time, we made a decision, as an official decision from the United States, that we no longer believe in a creator God. We were going to start to teach evolution alongside the creator God. Okay? That was an official decision in the leadership's roles, okay, that we were going to start to do that, Supreme Courts. 1920s. One generation later, 1960s, what do we see? You take prayer and Bible reading out of school. Why? Because you just taught the previous generation God doesn't exist. Do you want a pagan leading your kids in, in prayer? Do you get it? It made total sense. So you, and then all of a sudden you have Woodstock and free love and all this kind of stuff. And so that's 1960. You come a generation later to today, and what do you have? Kids killing kids. You have abortion on demand. We have state legislatures applauding that we can kill babies up to a minute before they're born. We'll take it to jail if you leave it on a dumpster. How sad. Think about it. We, we're in a society where we call what is good evil, and what is evil we call good. And we wonder, how did we get here? I really think it goes all the way back to this thing. It goes back to our ministry to the kids. And what do we teach them? They're not important. Jesus said, let the children come unto me. Forbid them not. But now the illustration is huge. It's huge. Why? Because this is what the kingdom of God is like. It's like a bunch of kids who are standing on the sides of the, the pool, if you would, looking down to their dad, and their dad says what? Jump. And the kid looks down and says, hmm, well, I don't know, dad. I'm only hmm, two feet tall. You're standing in four feet of water. You haven't taught me how to swim. I'm not quite sure this is a smart move. No, dad, I don't think so. I think we need to go to swimming lessons first. We need to do all this kind of stuff, and then I'll jump. The kid doesn't go through all that process, does he? The kid does what? He jumps. Sometimes he even jumps when you're not waiting. Because <laughs> he's expecting. He trusts. And the kids just wanted to come to Jesus. They weren't analyzing whether Jesus was really God. Did Jesus really do this? Did he speak it all into being? They didn't have their theology all nailed down. They just wanted to come to Jesus. Do you get it? That's what salvation is all about. That's entering the kingdom of God. I mean, I just had a debate with somebody earlier. I don't know if it was this week or last week. It was just, what does it take to enter into the kingdom of God? That's all it takes. Boom. Do you believe in the plan of God? Do you believe that Jesus can get you to heaven? Period. When it all boils down to that's what it's all about. What was salvation in the Old Testament? Did they know about Jesus? Yes or no? Uh, see, some say, yeah, I say no. They knew, they knew some of the, 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 the prophecies about him, but were they trusting in the death, burial, resurrection of Jesus Christ in the Old Testament? No. I know, that would make me a heretic with a lot of some churches. But no, what did they believe in? The plan of God. They believed that God was their Savior. That's what Yahweh said. I am, there is, beyond me, there is no other Savior. I am the Redeemer. They believed that God would do it. Period. That's what salvation was always about. It's always faith in the plan of God. So what about Jesus? Jesus comes and he fulfills the what? He fulfills the law. He fulfills the plan of God. This is what has been decreed from all along. And now it's all coming together. And so now as you look to Jesus, you start to believe that. And if you have faith and trust in God, in God alone, then you'll have faith and trust in Jesus. And if you have faith and trust in Jesus, as you learn his word, what will you do? You follow it. That's why I always said, that, that, again, I, I don't know if it was last week or two weeks ago, I mentioned this, in my debate with, with um, creation. 
you know, I have the shared creation, what's the debate? Because there is no debate. The debate really is, are you going to trust God or not? That really, it boils it all down to it. Do you believe God or you don't believe God? Do you trust God or you don't trust God? That's where it boils down. Salvation is in Jesus Christ, pure and simple. Bam! That's it. We get then to the adult, and we find out that in Jesus' exchange with the adult, now all of a sudden there's a whole lot more things that are going to apply into this. Because we have an adult who's going to come now, and he's going to say to teacher, he says, good teacher, and Jesus says, why do you call me good? There's no good, you know, so da-da-da-da-da, because he knows this guy's mind, right? But the guy wants to know a simple thing. What must I do to enter the kingdom of God? How can I be saved? Putting in our vernacular, right? How can I get to heaven? So Jesus turns around and he gives them, gives him the answer that this guy is expecting. Right? He says, well, you know the commands. Because what was this guy thinking? Well, no, not not just yet. Not that we're going to talk about that. But what's his question? What must I do? What must I do? He's thinking that it's a what? It's a work. He's got to do something. And so Jesus kind of responds in the, in the like thing. He says, okay, well, you know the law. You know the works. You know the law. And then look at the, the works, the laws that Jesus puts to him. What are those? No, close, very close. It's not all the Ten Commandments. The last six. Last six. See, people, do, people like to divide up the Ten Commandments, and they like to say the first five and the last five. I base it upon Jesus. It's the first four and the last six go together, okay? And so it starts with um, honor your father and your mother, okay? And then it goes on down. And so the idea is love your neighbor. That's exactly right. It summarizes it all to love your neighbor. Are you doing these commandments that are summarized into loving your neighbor? <laughs> I love this response from from the, the rich young ruler, from the young man, who turns around and says, what? I've done that. Keep going, though, Don. I've done that what? From my youth. I've done this. Basically, I'm what? I'm, yeah, I'm amazing. Good, yeah. I wasn't going there, but yes. I mean, I'm sinless. I mean, think of what he said. I'm, I'm clean. I'm sinless. I have kept the law. But Jesus left out the first four, didn't he? You shall have no other gods before me. You not, shall not make an idol in the form of anything, whether in the heavens above or the earth beneath or the waters below. You shall not use the name of the Lord your God in vain. And you shall remember the Sabbath day to keep it holy. He didn't ask him those four questions. And he still doesn't ask him those four questions. He then retorts to him in this exchange with him, right? He asks him these questions, and the guy says all these things. But then Jesus says, okay, then I got one thing for you to do. Because you want to know what you should do. So I have something for you to do. I think we go to the next one. Yeah, so I'm going to go back. And Jesus, by doing this, exposes his heart. I want you to take... I want you to go, take everything you own, I want you to sell it, and I want you to give it all to the poor. Boil down, what did he ask this guy to do? Wait, 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 we're going to get there in a second. That's the theology. What, what, what did he, what did he, ask, what did, I mean, you're that guy. What did he just ask you to do? You're, you're making, you're value the poor. No, 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 you're, you're making this too much. Sacrifice. Oh, yeah, selfless. Think, think, you make yourself this rich guy. Give up his wealth. Become the beggar. Do you get it? I mean, you're, you're sitting here like church people. Quit talking, thinking like church people. Think about this guy sitting here and what he heard. He's rich. And Jesus just asked him to go get a cardboard box and live under the Fifth Street Bridge. Go be homeless. Sell everything. Sell it all. Sell your Cadillac. Sell your Jaguar. Sell your boat. Sell your, your planes. Get rid of the penthouse. Sell your island. Yeah. Just get rid of it all. Right? And then come, follow me. 
then you can have riches in the kingdom. Is it any wonder this guy walks away sad? I mean, honestly, you put yourself there. How many of you right now, if you heard a voice from God in your, or just in your prayer time, you believe God said to you that you need to sell everything? Guys, I'm going to pick on the guys for a moment, okay? Because, you know, now God did tell Marsha and I we were going to have, uh, he wanted us to have a kid, and he did it twice for us. But normally, you know, if God shares something with me, he's sharing with me. If God's sharing something with her, he's sharing with her, okay? And so let's say, guys, you're in prayer, and God says to you, I want you to sell it all. I want you to sell it all, and I want you to take your family and go live downtown and minister to the homeless by being within them. Minister from within. Yeah, yeah, that's exactly right. You're the woman, and he hadn't even told you yet, right? Because now you're the man. And you're wrestling with God in prayer. You're Jacob, and you're fighting on the other side of the Javik River. And now you've got to do what? Go tell your wife. And your wife's going to say what? I'm committing you to the instance. <laughs> You're hearing voices. God wouldn't ask you to do this. He asked this guy to do this. You gotta ask yourself, did Jesus really mean this or not? Was Jesus just playing with him? Was Jesus just pulling his string? I mean, there's a part where Jesus knows what's going on. But I I mean, I think of this a lot for me. What does it mean in Romans 12, verse 1, to offer my body as a living sacrifice? To give up the thing I hold most dear. Yeah. Jesus is going to say, and we're going to, we're going to look at this later, where it says that to, to, lo- to gain the world, but to lose my soul. But if I gain, but I gain my soul, uh, I lose the world, I gain my soul. You know where I'm going with this one, okay? I mean, how important is this, okay? Am I willing? Am I honestly willing? See, for the kid, it didn't matter. The kid was willing to give up his, his M&Ms. He wanted just to be with Jesus. But as we get older, as we become adults, what do we do? That's exactly what we get attached. We start latching on to things. And we start shifting our values. I'm, I'm, I'm going to go deeper on this one. I'm going to make it harder. We, we start making our idols. We won't want to call them idols, but we start making our idols. In the very first commandment, Ten Commandments, is you shall have no other gods before me. The Hebrew word before me literally means in my presence. It doesn't mean ahead of me. It means in my presence. You should have no other gods beside me. There should be no other gods in my presence. I am God and God alone. If you got any other gods in your life, you're trying to share. And only one person can sit on the throne at one time. Not even you can sit on the throne. But we like to do that, don't we? We become our own gods. Michael Card has a, a great line in one of his songs. I like a lot of Michael Card's songs. He says, we've made you in our image, and so our faith is idolatry. We want a God who's like us, who thinks like us, who acts like us, who gives permission for us to do the things we want to do. So he has this exchange with this, this young man. What must I do? Well, okay, if you want something then, go sell everything. Give it to the poor. And then come on back. But he goes away sad because he had great riches. So now based upon this, Jesus... Oops, how did I do all that? Jesus does his exhortation. Get it all in one shot. I'm not quite sure what happened with the screen there, but you get it all. And so, how hard it is for the rich to enter into the kingdom of God. How hard. How hard it is. Wow, why? Because they're trusting in what? Their riches. Again, go back to Matthew chapter 6. Jesus said you can't serve 
two gods. You can't do it. You're going to love the one and you're going to despise the other. You've got to make a decision between the two. And so 1 Timothy 6, it's at the bottom of your page. That's for the discussions for a later time. But you can read it. And so the idea there in 1 Timothy 6 is that the love of, of money is the root of many evils in that the reality is that people are distracted by this thing. And so the illustration Jesus then uses, again, um, it's easier for a camel to pass through the eye of a needle than for a rich man to enter into the kingdom of God. Again, we can debate on what the eye of the needle was. I'm not going to go there. I know there's lots of different theories on what the eye of the needle was, whether it really is a needle, whether it really was a, um, um, a gate in the, in, the, in, the, in the wall or whatever. I don't really care. Take the illustration that Jesus was given. Jesus is given an illustration, okay? And the point is he's, he's given an illustration that's saying this is what? Impossible. It's an impossibility. It's easier for the camel to go through the eye of the needle, whatever that was, than for a rich man to go into the kingdom of God. And the disciples got it because they were like, wow, man, how are we doing? First Corinthians chapter 1. Turn with me there real quick. I love this passage. I think it was Queen Elizabeth who loved this passage as well. First Corinthians chapter 1. Beginning of verse 26. For you see your calling, brethren, that not many wise, according to the flesh, not many mighty, not many noble are called, but God has chosen the foolish things of the world to put to shame the wise, and God has chosen the weak things of the world to put to shame the mighty, which the things which are mighty, and the base things of the world, and the things which are despised God has chosen, and the things which are not to bring to nothing the things that are, that no flesh should what? Glory in his presence. Not many, not many, not many. It doesn't say not any. That's what Queen Elizabeth always liked about this. She says it doesn't say not any noble. It says not many noble. And she says, I rejoice for the M. And so, because without the M, she wouldn't have been able to get saved, right? Because she was nobility. And so the same thing is the same concept here. Not many rich, if you would. It is the same thing that plays into this. Because these are all people, these are all groupings of people who trust in themselves more than they will trust in God. Okay? And so, the application then is um, from Matthew 6, forsaking the riches of the world to find the riches of God. Jim Elliott made a statement. He is no fool who gives what he cannot keep to gain what he cannot lose. And I have to ask myself, over and over and over again, am I really becoming focused on the riches of the world? I don't like, necessarily, but it's, I do, when the stock market crashes. I know you're like, huh? It happened again earlier this week. I didn't tell Andrew that yet. <laughs> he had just made it back over his original investment. And it went down again, massive down again. But you know what's a reminder of? What? Say again? God's in control, but I, there is no trust. I cannot place my trust. My future is not entrusted to the stock market. Do you get it? God's in control of my future, period. If he wants to use investments, he can do that. But in the end, it doesn't matter. I know that in the end, the whole stock market system, our whole financial system is going to collapse. The book of Revelation is very clear on that. If, if you're trusting in the, in, the, in the financial system of the world, get rid of it. Get rid of the trust. Because I can read to you from, from the book of Revelation and show you where the financial earthquake is going to come. And, and you're going to just be devastated if you're trusting in, in, in the money of, of this world. He is no fool who gives what he cannot Keep. You can't keep it to gain what he cannot lose. Finally, <laughs> I don't know why it's kind of fun that it did this. There we go. The encouragement. The disciples then come to said, then who can be saved? If the rich can't be saved, who can be saved? And I love Jesus' response. With men, this is what? It's impossible. The way you think right now, according to the worldly mindset... It's impossible. But you need to change the way you think. Because with God, 
all things are possible. One of the favorite, my favorite prayers of Paul that I love to, to recite to myself over and over again is that God, um, he is able to do exceedingly abundantly above all that I could ever ask or think. Not even just ask, but even think. If you can think it, God's able to do so much more than it. Do you believe it? Do you believe it? Do you believe that God is able to do the impossible? I don't care what's impossible to you. You fill in the blank. To me, blank is an impossibility. Is it? God is able to accomplish the impossible. Do you believe this? This is just like Jesus talking to Martha. I am the resurrection and the life. He that believes in me, yet though he lives, he shall never die, and though he dies, yet shall he live. Do you believe this? That was an impossibility for her. I mean, she was like, what? So you fill in the blank. This is the impossibility. Do you believe God's able to do the impossible? Are you willing to get down on your knees and claim it before God? I don't know what that impossibility is. If it's all about you, forget it. But if it's all about his kingdom and his glory, are you willing to get on your knees, fasting and praying, and say, God, I know that you are capable of the impossible, and I'm claiming this. I'm crying out to you for this. It's all about his kingdom and his righteousness. Does God desire all men to be saved and come to the knowledge of the truth? You say yes, because you know I'm quoting scripture. But do you really believe it? Do you really believe that he desires all men and women to be saved? Or does he only want certain ones saved? I'm not getting into the Calvinism stuff here. But you can, you can kind of figure this one out too, okay? But I'm talking about just looking at certain people and saying to yourself, this is Bob, back to Bob again, you know, with the, the, the prejudices and stuff like that. When I'm looking at people and I think to myself, oh, God, what? <laughs> that's not, that's not. No, it is. Every single individual is there. Every person who comes to the door, as Steve was talking about it in testimony time, as we go around knocking on doors, every person who comes to the door, every person who doesn't come to the door, I don't know how many times I can tell you I know somebody's in there and they just chose not to come. They saw us at the door. It's okay. It's okay. Because it's God's job to what? Give the increase. God's job to get the increase. It's not my job to get the increase. I'm not responsible for that person coming to the door. Make sense? I'm responsible to go to the door. At least what God's put on my heart. And I'm going to leave the information. I'm going to put it on the door. They can do with whatever the information, whatever they want to do with it. I don't even know what they do. Just, you know, I hope they don't do it while I'm there. I hope they don't just, <laughs> while I'm standing there, they're going to be a bummer. But they can do whatever they want with it. That's not my responsibility. But I believe when I go out knocking on those doors that every single individual, even the ones who were given over to, what was the Rastafarianism? Even people given over to rest, and, and people who are self-proclaimed paganists, that God loves them. And I can tell that to them. Well, I'm a pagan. That's okay. God loves you anyway. God still loves you. You don't have to believe in him. He knows you exist. And he loves you. If you ever want to talk about it, please call me. We've left all and followed you. <laughs> now we're getting into the real, now, now we're getting into the real stuff, aren't we? But what about us? What about us? We have left all and followed you. Now, I put in Mark 10, 29, 30, because Mark talks about the, um, and I think it's Peter. So he puts in about the, the here and now as well. Jesus says, there is no one who has left houses, etc., everything else, who will not be rewarded. Now, he talks to the disciples first, and he says, you guys will do what? You're going to sit on thrones, and you're going to judge Israel. Now, we know from Revelation chapter 5, there are how many thrones? Good job. 24. 24. So probably 12 
are the, the, the leaders of each of the tribes of Israel, and then 12 disciples. That's at least what is presumed. Do we know that? Is it stated there anywhere? No, it's not stated anywhere, but we presume that. When we get there, we'll find out, if it's important for us to find out. Okay? But Jesus gives them a promise here. That's a pretty cool promise. You guys are going to sit on the thrones, and you're going to, you're going to judge Israel. But for everybody else, everything you sacrifice... You're going to have to ask yourself this question if you believe this. Everything you sacrifice, God will reward you even more in heaven and according to Mark, even now on the earth. And I say this lovingly. I don't know if my mom and dad or family will ever listen to this message, okay? But I know when Marsha and I got saved, we had to walk away from family in a sense, when we got rebaptized, that was making a statement. Not that I was trying to make the statement, but it was making a statement about my upbringing. And my brother, who Steve is getting ready to go on a missions trip with this summer, disowned me for eight years. But has now gotten saved and leading mission trips. God showed us the truth of this passage. We have so much family beyond our physical family, who I rejoice for my physical family as well. I'm not putting that down. But God met that need. 2 Corinthians chapter 8, 2 Corinthians chapter 9 talks about giving. You can't outgive God. You, you, it, it, you just cannot sacrifice beyond what... It, People always talk about the sacrifice I've made. I've never made a sacrifice, to my knowledge. I've made choices. But in my mind, it was never a sacrifice. I always chose the greater thing. Because in my mind, very clearly from God's word, serving God was always the greater thing. And he's always, always, always met our needs. So this week... I even made French bread for the first time. It was good, wasn't it? Wasn't it? It was good. I made meatballs for the first time. And my, my kids were just like, whoa, Dad. And my response is, I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. I can. I can do all things. I think it applies. I, mean, I understand what the, the local context is. But I, I believe that if God calls me to do something, he's going to give me the wisdom to do it. 18 years ago, there's no way I could do home improvement stuff. But now I can do it. I can't do it, but I can do it through Christ, who strengthens me. There is no one who has left anything who shall not be rewarded. Do you believe it? If you believe it, it's going to be revealed where? How you live your life, in your actions, in your decision-making. So in the end, are you trusting Jesus in childlike faith? And so on your sermon note, Jesus says, are you simply trusting Jesus in childlike faith? It doesn't get any... I mean, I, I got a lot of people just kind of... I love debating theology. I mean, I enjoy that. But when it all boils down... I could care a tiddly squat about a lot of theologies. Because it all comes down to who? To Jesus, to God. It's, 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 it's all about him. If he says it in his word, then I believe it. I know that's trite. That's, people always, if God says it, I believe it, that settles it. It is with me. It really, I mean, it really is the case. If you can show me in God's word, I may wrestle with this thing for a moment, but I'm going to what? I'm going to believe it. Okay, I, I was believing wrong. I was believing wrong. That settles it. Because God's right, I'm wrong. It's always going to be the case. How is that revealed in your life? How is your simple, childlike faith being revealed in your life? Are you overanalyzing everything? If God calls you to do something, what should you do? Do it. Heartily, as unto the Lord. How would you describe your righteousness? Wow. The better question would be what? How would God, no, not just even others, how would God describe your righteousness? Yeah, not even how others, because other, you could fool others, yeah? 
But how would God? But how would you describe your righteousness? This is really an interesting question because this rich young ruler, he would have described his righteousness as what? Great. Acceptable. But the reality is that there is none what? Righteous. No, not no, not one. All have sinned. I'm reading through the book of Job. It's amazing to, 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 to listen to banter between Job and um, Eliphaz and, and um, oh, Zophar and Bildad and, and about the righteousness of themselves. And the reality is that what? None of them are righteous. And that's what God's revealing, is their lack of righteousness. What are you willing to sacrifice to follow Jesus? Now, I'm not saying that you have to. Okay? I'm not saying you have to. But if God would ask you, if Jesus would ask you to make the sacrifice, are you willing to do it? Or is Jesus going to take second place to something else? And I do think, I mean, this is straight though, I do think that Jesus does ask us to make sacrifices at times. Now again, you may not consider it a sacrifice in the end. But I think there are times when you're going to be asked to reveal to yourself primarily, do you love God or this more? And you've got to ask yourself, are you willing to do it? Is there a need to change the way you think and therefore change the way you act? Let's pray. Father, thank you for your love. I thank you for your goodness to us. Lord, I thank you that you've showed in your word how much you love children. But not just children. You love each of us, Lord. You have made us in your image and in your likeness. You desire all men to be saved and come to the knowledge of the truth. Lord, I pray that we would have that the same desire. Lord, that we would desire to see all men and women to be, to be entered into the kingdom of God. Lord, I pray that you would remove any prejudice that's within me. Shed, shed me of it, Lord. Lord, give me a hunger and a thirst. Give me the passion that you have for others. And Lord, I pray that you would help each of us who trust in you, to trust in you wholly, Lord, and we would hold nothing back, but God, that you would use us in a mighty way for your kingdom's glory. In Christ's name, amen.